What a cool morning for us to gather and worship. And the scripture says not to be partial, uh, but after the little boy named Ross that we dedicated, I mean, just, I'm afraid I've found a new favorite, and uh, I'm just going to have to, I need you to forgive me uh, for that partiality. But, all right, who knows uh, the origin of Mother's Day? And this is how I'd like for us to figure that out. Uh, I want us to have a time to welcome each other and greet one another. And if you know, no Googling it. Don't, don't Google it. But if you know the origin of Mother's Day, share that with the person that you greet. All right? If you don't know it, say, I have no idea. What's your name? And then just greet each other. All right, let's greet each other real quick. What's the origin of Mother's Day? <laughs> Wow, that was a holy roar right there. Hey, Wes. All right, make your way back to your seat. Quick audience participation. Anybody know it that you didn't look it up? Hallmark. It's a fantastic guess. Franklin Roosevelt. It's a, it's a good start. You're, you're getting there. Anybody else? Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson, yes. 1914, he signed a measure that declared that the second Sunday of every month uh, would be Mother's Day. Oh, sorry. Wow, the guys jumped on that one. I think this is a problem. Uh, this will be a good day for you. Ladies, if you heard your husband say that. I declare for you, Ross Sawyers declares it today, second Sunday every month for those of you that your husbands did not like that idea. Second Sunday of May, thank you for that correction. Woodrow Wilson, 1914, the reason it got to Woodrow Wilson, though, was Anna Jarvis. And the reason it came through Anna Jarvis is because of Anna Jarvis's mother, who in the 1800s was pressing for a day that would recognize uh, moms and the sacrifices that they make. And it was through her daughter, Anna Jarvis, that uh, in, in 1914 that finally that happened. Her desire was that mothers would celebrate with their families and that the sacrifices that the moms have made would be celebrated by the children in the family. She spent the latter part of her life trying to undo the holiday because of the commercialization of it. Isn't that interesting? I want to bring substance today to our Mother's Day as we weave that through uh, the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're turning your Bibles there, and uh, we'll, we'll get there in just a moment, and I'll give you context. But uh, I just want to acknowledge uh, a couple of things here before we uh, get moving uh, through the Scripture. And uh, we, we want to be careful that at Christmas and 
uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Uh, they're great days of celebration for many people, uh, and for others, uh, they can be grieving uh, kind of days. And so we don't want to pass over that this morning, that this is not necessarily uh, just a celebration kind of day. It, it is for moms that have phenomenal relationships with their children and, uh, and with their adult uh, moms. And, and then uh, this can be a day that's hard because we grieve over the loss uh, of a mom uh, or a mom grieves over the loss of a child. It, it can be a hard day because some relationships are strained. And it might be that today that there's a relationship, mother-child relationship, that there will be no acknowledgement today uh, because of the strain and the difficulty uh, in the relationship. There are many that are unable to bear children, and this is a hard day. And, uh, and then there are still others that uh, have had difficulty and are able to bear children. It's a celebratory day. Uh, we have moms that have been able to adopt, and moms that have fostered, and single moms, and stay-at-home moms, and working moms. And, and then we have blended family moms, and we have uh, spiritual moms, the, the idea in Titus of, of the older women pouring into the younger women. It's a beautiful thing when... Uh, a, a lady is spiritually mentoring uh, a mom. Uh, and I would just like to say in the midst of all of that, uh, that, that really if we could just even take away all the adjectives and just say mom uh, and just kind of enjoy that part uh, and then grieve where it is uh, that we need to grieve. Regardless of our circumstances today, as followers of Jesus, uh, the scripture tells us to honor our fathers and our mothers, um, and that our days will be long as we do that. And so whatever the circumstances are, we want to at least try to figure out how can we actively honor uh, our, our moms uh, on this day. The scripture also says for children to obey their parents in the Lord, and uh, if you're still in the, in the home and, and young, that uh, what a gift that you would be an obedient child. Uh, to your mom. And, uh, and so we know that uh, from Scripture. Uh, we know for many of us that our moms uh, modeled for us uh, what it is to love. And I, I did something that I haven't figured out if it's weird or not uh, this Mother's Day. I'm not a, uh, my mom passed away in 2019, and I'm not a go to the cemetery person, uh, at least I haven't been to date. I don't know that maybe one day, I, maybe I will do that more. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, and everyone grieves differently, and I, I grieve in bursts. Something will hit me about a loss, uh, I'll cry it out, it's usually quick, uh, and then I move forward. Uh, everyone's different. Uh, but this time I thought, uh, when thinking about my own mom, uh, what, what could I do for her? And so I actually went to the store and I bought her a card. And, and I wrote her a card just like I would if she were here. And I, I did this uh, throughout our life. And so I just wanted to read this morning as a way to honor my mom uh, what I was um, writing to her. I really thought after the 8 a.m. I would not have trouble this time around. Mother, I'm grateful that on this Mother's Day uh, that I can reflect on you. It's been three years and it was in on that Mother's Day in 2019 that we had an amazing time at 121 in worship, and, and my mom always sat just about right there. Uh, and so I, I, somebody told me a way to grieve years ago is where your 
someone that you lose where they're supposed to be and they're not, it's okay to grieve that. Uh, and on Mother's Day, my mom is supposed to be right there, uh, and she's not, and that, that is usually a grieving thing for me. But we worshiped together three years ago, and, uh, and then we su- had a surprise for you with almost all of our family together at lunch uh, to celebrate you. That was a rare feat to be able to have us all together. More than anything, I simply miss your presence, phone calls and lunches and family gatherings. You're always so easy to be around, such an encouragement and thoughtful. I love in our latter years how you wrote out everything that you wanted to talk about when we got together so we wouldn't forget anything. You're always wise and practical with advice. Growing up, you were always present at my games, whether it was mild or calm or hot or really cold. Took me to school, picked me up. You're at my side when I was hurt or in the hospital, doing whatever my hobby was at the time, whether it was collecting stamps and we'd go to the post office or baseball cards or my beer can collection. And <laughs> I collected beer cans as a kid. It was it's a fun hobby. Um, and this is, this is uh, a true mom, uh, that when you're driving along and you see a beer can, you say, Mother, there's one. She'd pull over the side of the road. I'd run back, get the beer can, take it home, wash it out, add it to my collection. Uh, I know there's a lot of things wrong with that uh, today, but my mom just kind of went with the flow. Being with me at church in middle school years, meticulously looking up spelling words, I'd, I spelled in middle and high school those contests, and my mom would take the books with all the words, look up every word to make sure she could pronounce it right, write down every definition that she didn't know so that I could be the best prepared for that. Later, making trips to college into Pensacola where we lived, you loved your grandsons well, you made special scrapbooks, needlepoint pieces uh, for us. And grateful for your confident faith in Christ. And the dignity with which you pass from this life into the arms of Jesus. My mom showed me how to live. And she showed me how to die well. Love you, miss you, and grateful for you, Ross. Well, I think she's a beautiful picture of 1 Corinthians 13. And we've been thinking these last couple weeks of uh, gifted, uh, and that each of us have been gifted uh, by God. Uh, God has placed us in the body of Christ. If you know Jesus today, then he's made you a part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the body. And we learn in 1 Corinthians 12 that every person uh, has been given spiritual gifts. No one's exempt from that. Every person has been gifted. When I thought about this with my mom, my mom's gifting. She was a shepherd in her church. She shepherded small groups of people. That was part of her gifting. She was uh, doing helps and serving. That was part of her gifting. Uh, And she was an exhorter. She encouraged uh, in her giftings. She did that until she went in the hospital uh, when she was 85 years old and could do it no more. There's not a time when we retire from our giftings. 
There's not a time when we retire from the body of Christ. Matter of fact, we retire that actually amps up opportunity to increase the gifts being utilized in, in the body of Christ. Uh, and so we have these, this opportunity then of these gifts. And, and then uh, we're each valuable. We each have a part. We each have specific gifts to glorify God uh, and then for the common good of other people. It's not just because we have a need to meet or uh, it's not because we're fulfilled doing it. Uh, those are motivations, but the greater motivations are for the glory of God and for the common good of other people. Uh, and that will motivate us more and more for the longer haul. And so I'd like for us to think about in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, we'll primarily spend our time in verses 4 through 8, the first part of 8. Uh, we'll look at the two parts around it uh, fairly briefly, but I want us to see uh, the bigger picture uh, around it. Uh, and so we find three things in here about the more excellent way. And it's interesting because in 1 Corinthians 13, a good portion of us had this read at our weddings. I read this at most weddings that I, that I lead and that I do. I think it's a beautiful picture of what love is. However, the context for 1 Corinthians 13 is the way we use our spiritual gifts. It, it wasn't written for weddings. It, it was written so that we might use our spiritual gifts in the way that God wants us to use them. It's one thing to have our gifts and use them. It's another thing to use them wrongly. And that's what he's addressing here. Uh, and so we begin in verses 1 through 3, uh, and then we'll move from there. I did want to say this, by the way, just a, a note that I think has to do with today, but uh, I just want to highlight it. It requires way more time, and on May 29th, we have a guest speaker coming, Roland Warren, uh, who leads uh, over 1,200 uh, pro-life uh, kind of centers across the country. It's phenomenal work that he's doing, and we'll be able to deep dive uh, into the topic around life in the womb and how we minister well and care well, uh, and then certainly I would assume most of us are aware of the, uh, the leak this week, which is actually a problem uh, in our whole system of a lack of trust, uh, but the leak that Roe v. Wade will be overturned uh, by the Supreme Court, which we really don't know that for sure. Uh, that's not final yet, uh, and yet that can be good news, and there's a lot of implications of that uh, that are more than we can cover this morning. So I just want to acknowledge that today. There's a gratitude there, and, and we're coming back at the end of the month. We'd already planned to have someone because we were aware of the Supreme Court ruling that would come out, supposed to come out in June, uh, and then uh, to be able to talk more in detail. We'll have a seminar on the afternoon of the 29th. If you can't be here that weekend, I would encourage you. That's one you want to tune in or catch up on. And uh, it's a vital uh, thing in uh, what's going on in our culture today and that we as Christians uh, care about uh, more than anything from a biblical perspective of life and life in the womb. God has created us as persons in the womb. That's part of the center of the debate is personhood. God has created us as persons in the womb. From the scriptures, that's how we understand uh, God's view of life. And so when we think about that this morning, we think about everything else we're talking about. Let's think about love underlying that. That's our approach to any political ruling, uh, any judicial ruling. Uh, we want to respond in a way that most honors God. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels in verse 1, but do not have love... 
uh, become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So I'd say this first part, these first three verses, that we're nothing without love. There's nothing. So they would have had the right idea here that uh, they would have understood that there were gods that were being worshipped uh, in Corinth. And they would use these loud kind of gongs or clanging cymbals to worship their gods. And so this would have been very familiar to the readers of this when they heard Paul say it. And as he said it and talked about it, they would hear that. And what he's saying is, if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, but there's not love that's underneath it, then you're like a bunch of noise. Because that clanging cymbal and that gong, it has no harmony, it has no melody. The music was beautiful this morning, and that's not when you just have a beat on a cymbal or on a gong. It would be just noise to them. So you can have this gift, you can exercise the gift, but if love is missing, then it's just noise. No, nobody's hearing what you're saying. You're actually wreaking more havoc with it. In verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. So not only is it noise, but you can have these spiritual gifts, you can have great faith. But if there's not love underneath it, then he says, you're nothing. It's not just noise. Minus love, you're nothing. In verse 3, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. He's saying, look, you can go out and serve the poor. You can be all about the vulnerable. You can be willing to be persecuted for the name of Christ to the point where your body is burned. But if love isn't the motivator behind it, it profits you nothing. You might as well not have fed the poor. You see, we can do things that look like they're in the name of Christ and in love, but in the, underneath, it's more self-serving. It's more about someone noticing, or it's more about personal fulfillment rather than it is about a love for God and a love for others. So he just sets the pace by saying, look, you can have these spiritual gifts, but if you exercise them minus love, it profits nothing, you're nothing, it's just noise out there. Nobody's listening. Have you ever listened to teachers in the church, or have you ever seen people serve, or you've ever been with people in hospitality, ever been, just choose anywhere, and there was just something off? Like, they were really great at what they were doing, but something didn't really jive. I think oftentimes that's the love piece. Saying the right things doing the right things, not motivated by the right love. And I'm not talking about a cultural defining of love which says, I accept everything that's out there and applaud it. That's not biblical love. Biblical love is self-sacrifice. It's for the benefit of another person. And the standard of that love is God himself. 
So we go to God as he's made himself known in his word for the standard of what it means to give ourselves away and to sacrifice and do for the advantage and benefit of the other person. That's the kind of love he's talking about. A sacrificial love according to God's standard. When we think about uh, the kind of love that God is talking about here, it's the kind of love that in Romans 5, 5, that gets poured out from us, poured out on us. The love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The kind of love we're about to speak of is only possible through the Holy Spirit of God. It being poured out from the Spirit into us. That's how we love in this way. Now, the other night, uh, Orphan Outreach, which is uh, someone we partner with, ministry, they do phenomenal work all over the world. Mike Duras is a part of our church. He's founded it several years ago, and he retired uh, this year, and, uh, and they honored him the other night at this banquet. And, uh, and then uh, Tim Tebow was uh, the guest speaker. And uh, Tim Tebow... Uh, my wife really loves Tim Tebow. Like, we were excited about Tim Tebow. And I love Tim Tebow. He doesn't appear to me to have compromised at all, boldness, faith. Somehow he's managing, uh, God has given him favor to weave through uh, and, and be able to stay out there in what he's doing with the boldness and his faith. But some of us were able to get our picture with him, and Lisa and I got our picture uh, with him. If you don't know which one Tim Tebow is, it's the one in the middle. I'm on the left, he's in the middle. So I just wanted to clarify, I know that could have been a mistake that you would have made. I'm certain that his bicep is as big as both mine and both my quads. I mean, just, he is one of the largest human beings and uh, just phenomenal in who he is in Christ. That's what's phenomenal about it. And I actually thought later, as cool as it was to get our picture with Tim Tebow, I think the coolest picture would have been with Mike Durris. He, he's a lifelong picture of 1 Corinthians 13 in loving the vulnerable well. What a treat to be with people who are a picture of this. But when Tebow spoke, one of the things he said was this. He said, uh, tonight, it was an inspirational, motivational speech. That was clearly his task. And he did it well. But he said, tonight, if you walk out of here and you look back years from now and you say, man, I felt something that night, then you missed it. It's not about I walk out of here and I feel something. It's about walking out of here inspired to do something. He said, if you just look back and you had a feeling, you missed it. If you look back and you did something, you got it. That's what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. So the definition of love in verses 4 through 8 is you do something. It's not you feel something. Sometimes I think that's how we think of love. It's a feeling. Love in the scripture is an action. You do it. You do something. So what do you do? When we're thinking about the kind of love that, that comes underneath the way we exercise our gifts, the kind of love that, uh, the way we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind, the way we love each other as a result of loving God, what does that actually look like? 
And a few years ago, at the beginning of 2016, I did a series uh, on this particular part of 1 Corinthians 13. I picked it apart and did one phrase a week. So a lot more detail. So I just want to give a quick overview of the defining of love, the way that uh, Paul defines it here and what the kind of Christ-like love is we're talking about. Love is patient. So the kind of love we're speaking of is patient. Uh, And one way to think about this, if I'm not patient, it's not just I'm impatient. It's I'm actually not loving in that moment. I'm not walking in the supernatural love of God when I'm impatient. What I can know is I, if I happen to, by God's grace, be patient, that that's God producing that through me. So love is patient. It's willing to wait. It's willing to hang in there uh, in hard times. It's willing to watch and see something develop. Uh, moms are fantastic at being patient, uh, and sometimes maybe not. Uh, but most of the time, yes, I'm going to cheer you on today. Every time you're patient with your child, that's the love of God that enables that. To be patient. Love is patient, and love is kind. Oftentimes in the New Testament, we see patience and kindness put together. Patience, somebody said this, that was a good way to think about it. Patience is a little more passive. It's I'm I'm waiting on something. I'm waiting on you to do something, whatever that is. Kindness is I'm actively doing something. And I'm doing it with gentleness and with a heart that's tender. So I'm, I'm doing something. And I, I'm kind in the kind of somebody. So love is kind. It's patient and it's kind. It's gentle in word and it's gentle in action. I'm actively seeking to be both patient and kind. And then there's things in here he says that we're not. He says that love is not. So love is not jealous. So we can say then that anytime we're jealous or envious, desire something that somebody else has and want it for ourselves instead of them having it, uh, anytime we do that, we can know that's not love. What would be love is every time we're content. Love is not jealous, and love does not brag, is not arrogant. The word for uh, brag here is the word for windbag. So anybody that loves to speak of their own accomplishments, impress people with what they've done, a windbag. This can be overt and subtle. There's ways we can dig for a way or a subtle way for us to let people know what we've done. Because in our hearts, we, we want to make sure everyone knows. We want to be impressive to them. Sometimes, humility covers arrogance. We know we're not supposed to be arrogant, so we try to be humble about something, but in that humility, we're actually trying to impress. So we can't always be fooled by humility. So we'll be careful. Love, anytime there's arrogance or pride, that is not love. Verse 5, does not act unbecomingly. Or does not, it's not rude. Uh, and I think a way to think about this is in cultures, different cultures that were not rude. Love 
can be respectful of cultures. I love how Tony Evans said this. I've said it a few times over the last couple of years. Helpful for me. We can be respectful and appreciate different cultures up to the point that it's sin. So we, we can engage in other cultures. We can appreciate the differences and the ways that people do things and, uh, and so forth. And, and love does that. It understands and learns another culture, appreciates it, engages, gets in, inside of it. Up to the point where we're ever asked to sin at that point, we would stop. But love does not act unbecoming. It's not rude. It's polite. It doesn't seek its own. It's not selfish. It's not seeking its own glory. It's not provoked, meaning that it's not easily irritated. So anytime we're easily irritated, frustrated, easily angered, anytime that rises up, it's not just that we're angry or frustrated. And we want to be careful here, right, because we make ourselves feel better by saying we're frustrated, not angry. Same idea, same root issue in there. So we're easily frustrated, irritated, angered. Okay? So anytime that happens, we can know we're not acting in love. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Uh, this is forgiveness. Uh, I read a Alistair Begg devotional several weeks ago. It still stuck with me. Three silent killers of ourselves. Bitterness, resentment, self-pity. When we linger in those, they are silent killers to our soul. The antidote to that is forgiveness. And not holding the memory against them. That's one of the best definitions for me of forgiveness. The idea of forgive and forget, I think, is a... a Someone framed a while back. It's a myth. There are some things that happen in our lives we will not forget. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and the lady was talking about uh, a big sin period in her life. And she said, that's no longer who I am. That's not my nature anymore. When I came to Christ, God brought me in. He made me a new creation, so my nature has changed. That's no longer who I am. So when we throw all these adjectives in front of Christian uh, these days to say this is the kind of Christian you are, that we need to drop the adjectives. It's a new creation. You're a new creation in Christ. You're no longer whatever that was before, whatever that sin thing was in your nature. You're still fighting remaining sin. Still a fight. But new nature, and I love how she framed it. She said, that season of my life will always be part of my biography, but it's not my nature anymore. Christ has changed that. We forgive. We don't hold the memory against them anymore, uh, and we release off uh, of those things that are wrong. Verse 6, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Uh, and we can really take a good check in our hearts. What are, what are things we watch or listen to or, uh, or get involved with that they're, uh, they're not right? Uh, but maybe they're funny or maybe they're something else, and so we do it anyway. And love doesn't do that. It, it doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. It's excited when things are true. That's, that's what love does. Uh, 
Uh, and then uh, he says that love bears all things. It means it protects or covers all things. It believes all things. It, it looks for the best. So when we are looking for the worst first, that's not love. We give someone the benefit of the doubt, and we look for the best first. Now, that doesn't mean we put our head in the sand and act like there's nothing wrong. We just look for the best first. Then we move from there to figure out where something might be off. Even then, Jesus gives us guidelines for that. He said, when you do that, make sure and look at the log in your own eye before you look at the speck in somebody else's. So we have a way to go about believing the best. Hopes all things, endures all things. There's a certainty, there's a hope inside of us. Uh, there's not a despair. Uh, when that enters in, then we know that's not love. Uh, but there's a hope, and there's an endurance in all things. And then love never fails, meaning it never collapses, it never folds under pressure. So when we're resting and sitting in love, it doesn't collapse under pressure, it doesn't fold. Now, I've written this out in a way for us to consider for just a minute, and I want you to insert your name uh, where the blanks are. Do this silently, and, and I want you just to think about, is this true about yourself? And when I do it, I ask the same question. So for example, Ross is patient, Ross is kind, he's not jealous, Ross does not brag, he's not arrogant. Do that with your own name. So let's just pause. If you're online with us, if you'll do the same, just kind of insert your own name and think about this for just a moment. Okay, when I do that, I fail at every one. And I can certainly get to the end and say, Ross never fails. <laughs> that just doesn't, that, that isn't how it rolls. So that could be discouraging. Because this is the way we're to love. But someone asks these questions uh, that I locked onto, and I've gotten away from them. I, just, I hope I can just kind of get back to it. But, but one thing to ask in this to give grace is if you know Christ, are you increasing in these things? And, and that's a way to think about our own relationship with God. So I, over the years, I'll ask people, I've asked them, so how's your relationship with God? How would you describe it? The majority of the time, the way someone will describe it to me is based on their quiet time or their time alone with God. How many days they're spending, how much time they're spending, what they're reading right now in the Bible, what they're praying. I don't think that's the best answer. That's not relationally how we would answer other questions. If you ask me how Lisa and I are doing, I wouldn't start saying uh, 10 minutes every morning. We skipped two days this week. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I could do better. That's not how we talk about it. But it tends to be how we talk about our relationship with God. So let's think for a moment about this. And instead of being discouraged when we put our names in there, let's say, okay, 
Am I increasing in love in such a way that I'm more patient today than maybe I was a year ago? Am I increasing in love today that I'm more actively kind today than maybe I was six months ago? Am I increasing in love today where I'm so aware of the jealousy within me that at least some of the times now it's put to death and I can more celebrate with someone else? So think in terms of increasing and growing. Philippians 1.6, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. We're a work in progress. He sees us as children, as his sons and daughters, and he's building this in and through us. So it's more of an increasing. And, and we can give each other grace when we think about this for each other. And pray that, that we will increase in a love for God. And increase in a love for each other. And increase in a love for the church, candidly. It's sad to me when I talk to people and they say uh, they're not going to do the church anymore. Like, there's so many people out there, they've, they've abandoned the church. Not just our church, just pick a church. They're just, people are bailing out. And so they're just going to kind of do their own thing. Well, that's sad because that really is a love of God issue. See, you're not perfect, nor am I. You've got sin issues. I've got sin issues. So I might be disturbed about one of yours, but I better make sure and look back at the log that's in mine and be a little more disturbed about my own. And then maybe I can love you a little bit better. But an indicator of our love for God is our love for the body of Christ. So if, if, as I love God, I'll love the people of God and jump in there with them. So we think about this kind uh, of, of love uh, that God has called us to. And then the last part of this, uh, I'm not going to read uh, 8 through 12. I want to read verse 13. What he says in summary in those verses is that things are partial now. We only partially understand what's going on. And there's something uh, that's more permanent coming where we're going to see it all clearly. So in the meantime, he says, when there's this, this partial and this temporary in verse 13, but now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So abide these three. I love that word abide because this is actually how we can love what's the way it's described in verses 4 through 8, by abiding in Christ. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's almost a great summary of this whole section of 1 Corinthians 13, that you're nothing. I'm nothing apart from Christ. I can do nothing that's of value that will last eternally apart from Christ. So the way I can love like this is to abide in Christ, remain in Christ. And the way I enter into that relationship with Jesus is believing what he did on the cross for me in bearing my sins and all those things that are a lack of love in me. And as I believe that, then I find forgiveness, life, in Christ through what he did on the cross and in the power of the resurrection. Now I'm in relationship with him. Christ in me. Christ is love. Then the love of Christ begins to flow through.
through me. Now abide these three, faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the more excellent way? It will last forever. Once we arrive in heaven, hope is no longer necessary. Once we arrive in heaven, faith is no longer necessary. It is now. The greatest of these is love. A love that gives itself away based on the standard and the authority of God in his word through Jesus Christ. That's the kind of love that he's speaking of. And now our motivation is the love of Christ. So I want to reframe 1 Corinthians 13 this way. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He's not jealous. Jesus does not brag. He's not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Jesus does not seek his own. Does not provoke. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Jesus does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. If, yes, if Christ is in us, Jesus is in us, then the love of Christ starts to flow through us. So this isn't a go out and try harder to be patient kind, not jealous, not arrogant, to forgive, to rejoice in truth, to bear, believe, hope. It's not this long list that I try to check off today Did I knock this out. Today, the best thing that you and I can do is to actually rest in the work of Jesus and abide in Christ. And the more He takes over our lives, the more patience Kindness and the remaining definition of this love starts to flow through. So I'll look up one day and I say, how did that happen that I was actually patient in that circumstance when I wasn't before? It wasn't because I woke up this morning and tried to be patient today. Because Jesus is so overcoming me that he's producing that through me. It's abiding in Christ. Well, the person that I've lived with longer than I did with my mom is my wife. And I really got to see what it's like to be a mom being her husband and watching what it's like day in, day out. The concerns, the care, the love. I wrote my wife a card also. I gave it to her today. (laughs) But I just want to say out loud that you were taught so often by my wife. I I was at a golf course yesterday. I ended up at the wrong course. Good, good long story. But I was ended up playing with a couple that I met. God put us together. It was a it was a phenomenal afternoon. But they asked me what my wife did. And I shared a few things. And then I said, she's probably taught our church 
more than anyone will ever know. Because she so rests in Christ. Her depth and insight are so deep. She's the one teaching me so often what I teach you. But she doesn't want me to say it. But today I take the liberty. Because in Proverbs 31, it says that our children and our husband rise up and bless her. And praise her. And let's do that for our moms today. Thank you. I'd like to pray 1 Corinthians 13 over our moms. If I could do that. And let this be our mom's prayer uh, today. Father, I'm so grateful for um, all the moms at 121. And uh, today, God, I pray for those who desire that, that have been unable. Um, God, will you um, be a joy and a strength and a comfort for them in a way that only you can. Only you can get in the depth uh, of how they feel and uh, what's going on in them today. And then, Father, I pray for those who are moms today in here. And God, I pray... Uh, that they would go the more excellent way and continue to increase uh, in the kind of love described here. Not in guilt, not I can't get it right. God, will you relieve them of that today Uh, and just flood them with your love for them? Uh, And God, I pray uh, that they would uh, not be clanging cymbals or noisy gongs that... that, um, that love would underlie the way you've gifted them and lead them uh, as moms in their homes and the ways they function outside of the home. Father, I pray that uh, love would underlie it uh, so that they would be something and not nothing. And I thank you, God, uh, for filling them with yourself. And God, I pray that uh, they'd not do serving things Uh, that profit nothing, but instead, God, that your love would increase and continue to motivate in them so that when they serve, whether it's their families or beyond, uh, God, that that it's motivated by their their love for Christ and Christ's love for them. Father, I pray today that all the moms here, that, that they'd be patient and kind and not jealous. Father, that they would not be arrogant or brag or act unbecomingly or... Uh, be self-seekers, or uh, be easily provoked, irritated. Uh, God, I pray they would not take into account a wrong suffered today, but rather uh, they can release uh, and not hold the memory against someone anymore. Father, I pray today that they would not rejoice in unrighteous things, but rejoice in truth, that our moms today uh, would bear up, protect, cover, believe the best, uh, hope, endure, Uh, And God, that they would uh, not collapse or fold today under pressure. And God, I thank you that the possibility for that today is not because they can do it. But Lord, I pray they'll just find release and rest in you today. And that they would abide in you and enjoy you, appreciate your forgiveness. You calling them daughter, uh, your, uh, your just deep, deep faithfulness and loving kindness on them. And God, that they would abide in the greatest thing, uh, which is love.
the kind of love that gives itself away. And I pray, Father, they'd be motivated by you giving yourself away for them. And God, that that would be their deepest joy today. So thank you for the gift that they are. And I pray, God, these things for them in Jesus' name. Well, let's just continue our time quietly. And however um, you'd like to pray or just enjoy God this morning, uh, let's have a little bit of space for that and then we'll wrap up.